All right, so today we're going to have three acapella songs um, by me. Uh, my daughter's going to record two for me this coming week. Um, I'm talking to my wife about recording a couple as well, but for today you just have me. So we're going to have three recorded songs acapella, and I record them just in my study. No, no equipment, no nothing. So it's all just uh, me and a microphone, nothing else. I don't have any auto-tune or whatever, so you just have to bear with me on that. And then uh, we're going to get into the lady who washed Jesus' feet at Simon the Pharisee's house. Um, and some very interesting stuff there as well. So uh, hang on, here we go. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul, and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, 
When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open, we shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. All right, today we're going to be in Luke 7. Luke seven thirty six, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. So a woman in the city, she's not identified by name in Luke's recounting. But, it, it, you know, it, it does beg the question why. Rahab, Mary Magdalene, Tamar, they were all women of low repute. They were mentioned by name. Why did this woman not get the same name recognition? So many in the New Testament got their faith listed, but their names were not important. Their faith was important. The Jesus they met was important. Their names not so much because Jesus is the focus point here. The lame at the pool, no name. The, the woman healed touching the hem of his garment, no name. The centurion and his sixth son, no name. All important, but not as important as Jesus. So the woman in the city is a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. The Bible doesn't tell us of her sin or any other details, thankfully. For had we known her character or lifestyle, we might look at her differently rather than a sinner who needs the Lord, just as we were when we came to Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you're the same as everybody else. If you do have Jesus, you know that you're a sinner, but you're washed in the blood. She brings an alabaster box of ointment, a cost of approximately, and I say approximately because there's a couple different prevailing theories on this, so we're going to go with approximately $50,000 in today's money. It's a sizable sum for anybody to bring and pour out on somebody's feet. We get that. But it's still, still quite a bit of money. So she brings the alabaster box of ointment to the Pharisee's house. 
where uh, Jesus has been invited to eat. Nobody has any idea of what's going on as far as we know. So we're going to go into Luke 7, 38. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known whom and what manner of woman is this that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. <laughs> the Bible tells us she's a sinner. Luke tells us she's a sinner. The Pharisee tells us she's a sinner. I'm guessing this woman's a sinner of ill repute. Big time ill repute. So she stood at his feet behind him. Notice that stood at his feet behind him. When they ate, they reclined on their sides, knees bent, feet facing behind. So their, their, their knees are bent, their feet are behind them with the, the, the soles of their feet pointed away. The woman stood at his feet all my life. I've always uh, heard this telling as she knelt and washed his feet with her tears and it was the unspoken, understood part of the retelling. But she stood behind him. There's a whole lot more unworthiness in that posture of standing behind him than kneeling at his feet. She's a sinner. She knows it. She won't even come to his face. She won't talk to him. She's just standing behind him, wiping his dirty feet with her hair, her tears. She is so unworthy and she knows it. That posture is far more telling than the other where she was kneeling in front of him. She is standing behind him. He is eating and he barely acknowledges her. They all know she is there. They all know. They have to. They got to hear her. They've got to see this going on. Yet Jesus says nothing. Nobody says anything to her. She is crying at his feet, tears dripping. She is washing them. She is washing the tears and drying them with her hair. Lovingly, ashamed of who she is in his presence. This woman is how so many of us were when we met Jesus. When we truly understand how much we need him, who he is, and why we need him. She was not aware that Jesus knew her and how much she loved him. She was only aware that she needed Jesus. She knew it. She also knew she was unworthy and she was behind him, washing his feet, the dirtiest part. She was not aware of how much he loved her. She was not aware of how much he wanted to heal her hurt and set her on the right path. That's why he came and died. She was not aware of all this. She was just aware that the Savior was nearby and she needed to see him. That's what she was aware of. That's what she knew. Jesus, the name above all names, that's what she knew. The Pharisee, when he sees what the woman is doing, starts, starts to condemn her in his heart. For he probably knew her, or at least knew of her, and what her sins were. Well, he had to because he knew she was a sinner. He didn't know that this woman with the hole in her heart, the hole in her soul, this woman is the one Jesus came for, not him. The Pharisee in his heart says, if 
this man is a prophet. The woman knows he's a prophet. He's something special. The Pharisee says, if he were a prophet. Think about that. The wording alone tells you the state of the two hearts here. It's all in the perspective. She knows she needs him. The Pharisee believes that he is just fine as he is. She loved the teacher with all her heart, even though she had not yet met the Savior. She knew him. She knew of him and loved him for some reason that is unknown to us. This love is pouring forth in tears. This love is showing her how unworthy she is. Jesus' presence shines a light on who you are. When you meet him, you know who you are. You know how unworthy you are. You know you need him. And when he brings that forgiveness to you, there's no other feeling like it. The love is pouring forth in tears. Her love. This love is showing her how unworthy she is. But this love that she is showing and pouring out the ointment and wiping and crying and washing his feet with tears. There is, this love is soon to be outdone by his love for her. He outdoes her love. He loves unconditionally. He loves completely. He loves purely. And when you meet him and you learn of that love firsthand, it will change your life just as it does for her. The Pharisee spoke within himself. Jesus answered that internal question with an external answer. And we're going to get to that answer. Luke 7, 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. See, he calls him Master. But in his heart he says, if. Outward appearance, that's what the Pharisees are about. The woman is all about the inside. She knows the Pharisee is caught with the outside appearances. All right, moving on. 741. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. You see what he's doing? The one who has the most debt to forgive is generally the most grateful. Common sense, right? Yet the Pharisee, as most of us humans do, is still seeing just the outside and the surface. Jesus is seeing the heart of both. The Pharisee treating him as an equal for the moment, yet is still looking down on Jesus. And the woman, who is loving him unconditionally, Jesus sees the hearts of both. I sometimes wonder if after the death, burial, and resurrection, if any of these Pharisees that constantly questioned, doubted, persecuted him, ever became disciples. We know Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did, but we don't know about some of these others. I've often been curious about that. So Jesus is seen in the heart. Who's going to love the most? The one who most is forgiven. 744. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, 
but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. My head with oil, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Do you see what just happened here? The woman loved Jesus. She knew she was not worthy. The Pharisee thought he was too good for Jesus, for what was going on in this house. Amazing how the presence of the Lord can be so wholly felt by one person and so totally ignored by the other. The woman sees him as the Savior. The Pharisee sees him as someone not at his station. It's amazing. Two people, same culture, same room, seeing totally different things. The Pharisee, as is the custom, did not wash Jesus' feet or give him a kiss of greeting, something no proper host would ever do in that day and age if they truly esteemed the visitor. That tells you more than anything what this Pharisee thought of Jesus. He didn't give him the, the greeting. He didn't wash his feet. He did not respect or care about Jesus. This is more of a trap along the way. He's taking in for Jesus in for dinner, but not out of respect or love, but because he is trying to figure out Jesus' intentions. The woman gave so very much out of love, yet the Pharisee gave so little, not even following customs and traditions that the religious elite put so much store in. Had this been another Pharisee or somebody he considered an equal, he would have lavished them. He would have greeted them. He, needed, he would have needed something from them. He didn't need anything from Jesus, so he didn't give him anything. So Jesus turned to the woman, says in 748, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? <laughs> they don't know who he is. She does. And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Her faith in the Savior has saved her, and her sins are forgiven. The Pharisee still doesn't get that the heart attitude is what matters most. The woman loves, for she had need. The Pharisee in his eyes had no need. Therefore, he did not see Jesus for who he was. Even today in the church, the same problem is evident. There are those who love, for they see that they have need. And there are those who are just going through the motions because they're fine just as they are, just like Simon the Pharisee. They don't really need Jesus. They're just doing it because they were told they needed to. They don't really need Jesus. They're just doing it to keep up appearances. They don't want to have to need Jesus to see him as the Savior because then they're going to have to change their lifestyles. They don't see Jesus. They see what they want to see. This woman saw the Savior, the one she needed. The, everybody else in that room saw a man. She saw the Savior. So one last point I'm going to make here on this part is, just as what happened at the pool of Bethesda, 
so too here. Jesus at the pool with a multitude of sick and lame heals one man. One. Here this woman in a room full of rich men, a room with God himself in it. God himself is in this room. And this woman, who wasn't even invited, was the only one whose sins were forgiven that day. She's the only one who saw that need that day. Think about that. A room full of people, and she's the only one who needed him. A room of the religious elite, leaders of the people, and a poor sinner woman so broken by her need for him that she cries and weeps and spends a fortune, yet no one else recognized the very thing she saw, the Savior. She was unworthy and she knew it, but God knew she was the only one worthy. Think about that. Without him, what are we? Without him, we are unworthy. Yet because of him, we are worthy. When you get washed under that blood, you are now worthy to stand before the throne. And that very fact should put you on your knees every time you come before that throne. Now I'm going to do something here. I'm going to get into something personal, something from my writings that I did a long time ago. But it fits with the whole worthy here. So just bear with me for a minute. There was once a lady who was very precious to me. Her name was Debbie Ray. I, I used Debbie Ray a lot. I loved her in my own way. She was, <laughs> she was such a great little She was a great woman. She was very instrumental in my books being printed. She was very instrumental in being compiled. One day she was editing some, some material for me, and she was reading, and uh, she was reading uh, as she went. Uh, she she read everything I wrote. She she absolutely thought I was a whole lot more than I actually am. <laughs> she was something else, Debbie Ray. Sweetest woman I ever met. And anybody who I know and who knew her will tell you the exact same thing. Sweetest woman ever. So one day she was uh, reading and she started crying. And then the next Sunday she came to see me because um, at church. She came to me, tears in her eyes. And she tells me that due to my writings, she would never again feel unworthy. For Christ had died for her. She had known this. She had known Christ had died for her. She had already accepted him as her Savior. But she will never again feel unworthy because of what I wrote. And I'm going to read that in just a minute. But I'm going to let you know I miss Debbie. I still have her information in my phone. I can't bear to take it out. I'm sure that if I call the number, it's not good anymore, but still. To this day, I remember her. She came to me crying because I touched her life. But she doesn't know how much she touched mine before she went on. She's gone now. But she touched my heart so much. So I'm going to read what I wrote that touched her so much. Every now and then, everyone, and I mean everyone, has those moments of self-doubt. Just like everyone, I too get down on myself and start to wonder what the heck is going on. Is it me? Is it God telling me to wait on him? Is it Satan blocking me? Who knows? You get the point. 
However, today, as I was walking to the end of the drive, I wrote this nine years ago. So uh, to get the trash cans, I was berating myself, wondering why I had not found a job. I even called myself worthless. But the answer to that jumped right into my mind. I am not worthless. Christ died for me. That, of course, started me thinking as usual. And as usual, I started realizing that if I could think these things, and there are lots of others who also think these things, if I can sit here and think I'm worthless, other people can do the same. But Christ died for me. When we start thinking these things of how worthless we are, how horrible people we are, how bad we are, we sit alone in our quiet moments, quiet moments and we wonder who could love us. Who could possibly want to be with us? If they really knew who I am, if they really knew how truly evil, awful I am, would they want to be around me? We all have those moments. The truth of the matter, though, is God does love us. Even in those moments when we are at our most unlovable, our most despicable, selfish, self-centered, self-pity, and worst, God knows us. He knows our heart. He knows what we are going to do and want and what we wish we would have done. God knows us at our worst, and he still saves us and lets us serve. He still loves us and died for us at our very worst. And at our very best, we're not even close to his worst. 1 John 4, 9-11 through 11. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. What's propitiation mean? Propitiation means the turning away of wrath by an offering. In relation to soteriology, propitiation means placating or satisfying the wrath of God by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Basically what it says, Christ paid the price for our sins. He stood in man's place and took God's wrath and placed it on himself so that we do not have to face it. We are forgiven of our sins by God thanks to the sacrifice Christ gave. Christ gave himself. The sky turned dark as Christ is on that cross because God had to turn his back on himself. Think about that. God paid the price for us. To receive that forgiveness and to be accepted into the kingdom of God, all you have to do is ask. Christ died for me. That makes me worthy. Christ died for you. That makes you worthy. Christ died for that woman washing his feet, even though her sins were forgiven before he died. She was the reason he came to die. People like her who were unworthy, unable to even look at him because of who they were. No matter who you are, where you are, what you have done, what you are doing, what you might do, he loves you. God loves you and wants the best for you. 
He wants you to have life and to have it more abundantly. All you have to do is ask. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Simple. Jesus died for you. I always liken this love that God has for us to a far less pure love, but a definite and true love nonetheless. I love my kids. No matter what they do, no matter where they go, I love them. As a father, I would do anything for them. If they make a mistake or go down the wrong road, I will still love them. And I will support them. And I will help them find their way. I want them to have the best and not struggle as I do. But I also know they must learn from their mistakes and pay for their actions, whether good or bad. I can't help them pay for the actions. Or I can't help them pay the consequences. But I can hold their hand as they go through it. Doesn't God do the same thing? He gives us free will, but he never stops loving us no matter what we do. He loves us purely, unconditionally, but we still must live our lives. We're still going to make mistakes, and he's still going to love us. We will make mistakes. We will fail, but never will we leave his family. He's promised us eternal life. I don't know what eternal means to you, but to me, to me, it means eternal from this moment till end of time. That's eternal. Eternal isn't until I screw up again. That's not eternal. That's 10 seconds. By the same token, this is exactly why God will not forgive the rejection of his son. Everybody says, oh, well, I'm going to heaven on my good works. If you do not receive Christ, you will go to hell. You cannot reject his son who paid the ultimate price and go to heaven you can't that's rebellion against god and he will not stand for that his son paid a terrible price on the cross he gave himself for a world of sinners sinners who would revile him and his people a world where good is not the normal state and he came and died for it anyway christ took off his robes in glory left his home and came here to die in our stead why? Because he loved his people. 1 Peter 2, 23 through 25. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Christ took our pain and punishment unto himself. He paid the ultimate price for us. If that is the case, then he died for each and every sinner. Then how can we be worthless at such a high price paid for us? If we are worthless, then why does God, the creator of the universe, know the very number of hairs on our heads? Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. That fact, coupled with the love of God, the death of Christ for each and every one of us, should be sufficient to convince you that you are not worthless. You are priceless in God's eyes. You cost him his only begotten son, and he did it willingly, voluntarily. So the next time you or someone else calls you worthless, 
where Satan starts attacking or self-doubts arise, just remember God gave his best for you before you even were. God loves you with an all-encompassing love that is faithful and true. God would not have sent his all, his best, if you, if I were not worth it. Remember that Christ loved you so much that he stretched out his arms and he died for you. Through Christ, we can be worthy. In him, we can find our true worth. Just like that lady who knew she needed him. She washed his feet crying, wouldn't even walk in front of him. That's who most of us are. But then there are the others in the room who didn't need him. They needed him. They just didn't know. If you're one of those who knows you need Christ, call on him today. If you're one of those who think you don't need him, call on him today. He will show you. All right, so that's it for today. Next time around, we're going to get uh, the second and Saul, uh, second and Paul. Oh, and by the way, my daughter is going to be recording two songs uh, for me, and they will be included in my next podcast, so be on the lookout for that. All right, have a great day.